Good morning, Lakeview Church. We are here today to celebrate the foundation of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lots of people have lived and lots of people have died, but when Jesus died and was buried, he did not stay in that tomb. On the third day, the Spirit of God went into that tomb and raised Jesus back to life. And when Jesus came back to life in that moment, death, hell, and the grave were defeated. Amen? And we gather here today knowing that because of Jesus' life, because of his death, and because of his resurrection, we can experience forgiveness and we can find freedom from the things in this world that seek to hold us captive and keep us from everything that God wants us to experience. All of that is possible because of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And we gather here today to celebrate that reality. Jesus has been raised. And as we often say in the church, he is risen. Some of you didn't know the line, and now you do. We're going to try it one more time. He is risen. risen That sounds beautiful. This last week, we've been walking through all of the events that led up to Jesus' death and resurrection. It started last Sunday with what we call Palm Sunday. That's the day when Jesus went into Jerusalem riding on the back of that donkey, and all of the people gathered around, and they were were putting palm branches and taking their cloaks off and laying them on the ground to celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, the coming of the Messiah. And as that week began to unfold, we watched Jesus. If you were reading through the story this last week, you you watched Jesus go into the temple and clear out all of the money changers because the temple wasn't what God intended it to be. And, And Jesus went in and he cleared the temple. And then we get to Thursday night where Jesus gathers with his disciples and they share together one final meal. And this is the meal where Jesus institutes what we know as communion or the Lord's Supper. It's where Jesus takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples. And he says, this is my body broken for you. And he takes the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And following that meal, he goes out into the garden to pray. And of course, we know that on that night, Jesus would be betrayed by one of those in his inner circle. And they would take Jesus away. They would arrest him and then put him on trial. And eventually, we know that Jesus would go through the the mocking and the insults and the false accusations that would be thrown against him in that week. We know that he would be beaten, he would be mocked, and then eventually they would crucify him on the cross. And Jesus, on the cross, would speak words while he is hanging there. He would look at the criminal next to him and say, today you will be with me in paradise. He found energy to look down at one of his closest disciples and his mother there at the foot of the cross to let them know that his mother would be cared for. He spoke to his disciple and he said, take care of her. He found energy to cry out to his father in heaven to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then with one final breath, he declared, it is finished. 
And with that, he breathed his last. To make sure that he was dead, the Roman soldier came and took a spear and stuck it in his side, confirming that, in fact, Jesus Christ, God's son, had given his life, and he was dead. They took him off the cross that day, and they laid him in a borrowed tomb, a tomb that on Sunday morning would be found empty, the passage that was just read for us. It's a beautiful truth. But, but before we get to Sunday morning, I want us to take a moment and think about Saturday. Because I think we're really good at telling the story of how Jesus gave his life on the cross on Friday, and we're really good at the he is risen part, right? He's risen. He's risen indeed, right? We know that. At least most of us know the line. And I think all of you know the line now. We're really good at, at, at telling the story of Good Friday, and we're really good at celebrating the story of Sunday morning. But I want to just have you stop for a moment and sit with the disciples on Saturday. Because when Friday comes to a close, Jesus has given his life on the cross. They've taken him down and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a stone across the door of the entrance to that tomb. And then the disciples went away. And they gathered in a room together and there they consoled one another as they dealt with the grief and the loss that they were experiencing. You see, when they gathered together, they, they didn't have sayings like we do. They didn't say things like, it's Friday night, but Sunday's coming. They didn't say that because they didn't have that frame of reference. We get the privilege of looking back on the story of the resurrection, but I want you to stop this morning and live in the moment that the disciples are experiencing. Because they get in this room together, and in that room, they're thinking about what's just happened. I mean, think about what we talked about just last Sunday, where they went to Caesarea Philippi, and it was revealed to them that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. He's going to bring God's kingdom and make everything the way it ought to be. That was the story we told last week. And now the disciples are confronted with the reality that Jesus is dead. And they don't know anything about Sunday yet. They are sitting there in grief. They are mourning. They are questioning. For them, Jesus' death on the cross and laying him in that tomb had a finality to it. His life was over. I was thinking about this in the fact that just a few years ago, you know, we walked through the death of my mother, and it was completely unexpected. She woke up one morning and wasn't feeling well, and two hours later, she was dead. And we traveled out to the East Coast, and we walked through all of the stuff that you walk through when a person that you love dies. And there were moments of incredible emotion and just a sense of loss and shock and grief. We had questions. Why did this happen? And why did this happen now? And there were all kinds of emotions inside of us. There was a sense of, of darkness, a sense of doubt, a sense of what just happened to our world. 
And I was thinking about, you know, all of that week. And, and I, there was one moment as I was thinking about that, that I, I, I realized the finality of death. It was the moment when they let everybody out of the sanctuary and they let the family stay. And we said our goodbyes as a family, and then they closed the lid of the casket. There's something about that moment. If you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. When that lid of the casket comes down and they seal it shut, there's a sense in which you know that person is gone. You'll never, you'll never get to talk to them again. You'll never get to, to hug them or take a walk or have a conversation. You'll never get to enjoy telling jokes and laughing. I'll never get to hear my mom say, that's enough to make a preacher cuss. She said that a lot. And, and after I became a preacher, I would respond back, and I know where that line's at. I'll never get to hear that again. She's gone. There's a finality to it. Now put yourself back in that room with the disciples and think about what they're experiencing. See, for the disciples, they only had one frame of reference. And their frame of reference was very simple. A person is born, they live, and then they die. And that's the end. Put them in the grave and it's over. That's all they could imagine. So when Jesus Christ, God's son, dies, it's over. And they think that it is, in fact, over. They knew Jesus had been born, and they knew that he had lived a powerful, powerful life. He'd called disciples. He'd taught the multitudes he even miraculously sourced wine at a wedding that had run dry. He took a brown bag lunch and fed thousands of people. And he had baskets left over. He actually welcomed and cared for adulterers. He demonstrated compassion to people who had never experienced physical touch in their adult lives because they were lepers. And he touched them and healed them. He offered grace and truth to sinners. He confronted the religious leaders of his day and called them out on their hypocrisy. He made lame people walk and blind people see. He even took dead children and made them live again and gave them back to their parents. Jesus was born and he lived a powerful life, but what the disciples had just witnessed was the fact that Jesus had died. See, the disciples only had one frame of reference. A person lives and then they die because in their frame of reference, life leads to death. Life is what happens after a person is born, and it's what happens before a person dies. And when a person dies, life is over. But the good news is that Saturday only lasted for 24 hours. The sun went down, and Saturday came to an end, and then Sunday morning happened. 
And when the sun came up on Sunday morning, Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. The Spirit of God had gone into that tomb, rolled the stone away, and took the lifeless body of Jesus Christ and made him live once again. And the tomb was empty. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, it introduced into this world a completely different frame of reference. We only had one before this moment, that a person is born, they live, and then they die, and when they die, life is over. But when the resurrection happened, a new frame of reference entered the world, and that frame of reference says that after death comes life. You see, it changes the whole perspective. Instead of thinking that a person lives and then they die, what the resurrection teaches us is that we die so we can live. This is the greatest paradox of all. We've been studying paradoxes in the weeks leading up to Easter. We've been walking through these paradoxes, and and what what we've been learning is that there are statements that seem wrong when we first hear them. They seem ridiculous, absurd, and then the more we think about them, the more we dig into them, the more we realize they contain truth, truth that can help us in our lives, and we've been walking through a whole bunch of them, but we've saved the greatest paradox of all for today. Because because before the resurrection, we think life leads to death, but after the resurrection, we realize death leads to life. We don't live and then die. We die so we can live, and what What the resurrection has done is it's transformed death from the end to a doorway. Death is a doorway to life. Right? When a person is is coming to the end of this life, we watch them come to the end. And instead of it being the end, as we see it from this side, we realize there's another side. And in the moment that a person's life is coming to the end, there's a beginning. Because death leads to life. Death is a doorway. And so what I want to do just for these next few minutes is I want to take this paradoxical truth that instead of life leading to death, death leads us to life. And I want to just explore just for a couple of minutes the hope that that truth brings to us. And the first part of this hope is that it really does offer to us hope for the life to come. Hope for the life to come. You see, I just referenced it. When a person who follows Jesus, who knows Jesus, who lives for Jesus, when when that person dies, their death is not the end. It doesn't come to a close. In that moment, as they take their final breath, they are actually becoming more and more alive. In fact, the way that I've come to describe it is that when a person who walks with the Lord comes to the moment of their death, their earthly body dies, but in that moment, they've never been more alive. I stood at the side of my mother's casket when they closed the lid, and it sure seemed final. But I knew it wasn't. There was hope because there is hope for the life to come. Now see, in the Christian church, for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with what we believe about what happens when a person dies, 
I want to just help you understand some of the things we believe. And I'll just warn you, it sounds a little crazy. It really does. But this is what we believe because we believe that the Bible is the word of God. And so when we look to the scriptures and we find the truth that it contains, it speaks to us about these things that we cannot know. And we believe them because they are the very word of God. One of the things that we believe scripture teaches us is that when a person dies in that moment, they are separated from their earthly body. That there is a spiritual reality of a person that is separated from their earthly body. And what we believe is that in the moment of death, that person's spiritual reality becomes alive immediately and fully in the very presence of God. The early church, right after Jesus' death and resurrection and this community of people starts to form in the first century and they begin to think about what the resurrection means for us as followers of Jesus. They begin to understand the implications and what they discover and what they begin to write and and, and capture as a belief of the church is that for a follower of Jesus to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, the apostle Paul, he was a first century church leader, and he wrote to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. And this is what he says. These words are going to be on the screen for you. He says, yes, we are fully confident that we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. To breathe our last breath on this planet is to be fully alive in the very presence of God, and that gives us hope today. But that is not the ultimate hope of the Christian. And some of you are like, wait a minute, did I miss something? You might have. Because there is a hope beyond the hope I've just described. There is this reality to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but to be present with the Lord is to be waiting for another day that is yet to come. And when that day comes, the ultimate hope of the Christian will be revealed. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, you see, we believe that When we die, we're separated from our earthly bodies, but there is a day coming when Jesus Christ returns that we will be reunited with our bodies and our bodies will actually be raised from the dead, just like Jesus. We proclaim this in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the resurrection of the body. I told you, it sounds a little crazy. But remember, I told you, it's in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read some of these verses. Look at verse 23 in 1 Corinthians 15, written by Paul, by the way, to the same church in the city of Corinth. He says, Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. In verse 42 of the same chapter, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. And then 
a little bit later in verses 52 and 53. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. There is a hope for Christians that when we die, in that very moment, we are present with the Lord. And from that moment on, we are waiting for the day when that last trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back and he's coming back. And when he does, all who have died in Christ will be raised from the dead and all of us who remain will be changed in a moment. That's our hope. Hope for the life to come. But you know, Christianity gets a bad rap from time to time because we tend to think that that's the only hope we have, hope for the life to come. And so some people will say of us that we just use our faith as a crutch. It's a really hard world out there, lots of difficulties, lots of challenges, wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of brokenness and lostness and, and just pain in our world. And so we just cling to the hope that when we die, we get to go to heaven. But I just want to let you know, Christianity is more than something that makes sense on our deathbed. Christianity is not just hope for the life to come. It is hope for the here and now. It is hope for the here and now. Because the resurrection isn't just about what happens after you die. The resurrection is an actual teaching of the church that reminds us that in this life, right now, today, death still leads to life. That's what the church teaches. Not just that you, you wait until you die and then you can live. We actually believe you can start living right now. And it is the best life that this world has to offer because it's not offered by this world. It's offered by God himself. You can have hope in the here and now for a better life right here where we live today. This is what we believe. And we believe it because this is what the scriptures teach us, right? And we need this teaching because here's the reality. The world has a philosophy today. And, and you know this philosophy, and, and it's, it's said in a lot of different ways with a lot more words, but I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell. This is the philosophy handed to you by our world today. If you want to find life, then just go out there and live it up. That's what our world says. If you could conceive of something that you think would make you happy, then you ought to have that. You should do that. You should engage in that. If you think it will bring, bring you pleasure or any kind of fulfillment, you ought to do that because it'll, it'll actually fulfill you and make you happy. You ought to have what makes you happy. Just get out there and live it up. That's what the world tells you. But I'm here to tell you today that they are lying to you. They are lying to you. 
And some of you know they're lying. You figured it out. You've been living it up long enough and at every turn, you just think, if I could just do this next thing or engage in this next activity or, or, or pursue this thing that I'm sure is going to bring me pleasure, and then you get it, and it's just never satisfying. It's never fulfilling. It's never enough. And you go out, and you live it up, and you're still empty deep inside. You know the world is lying to you. And I just want you to know today, that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ wrapped up in this story of the resurrection is that you can find life. It's possible, but not in the way the world tells you to find it. You don't go out and live it up. If you want to find life, you have to give it up. You have to die before you can live. You have to die to yourself and to your old way of living. And when you do that, you can find life. You can discover what God has for you. You can find a life that's so rich and full and abundant. A life that has meaning and purpose. That's deeply satisfying and fulfilling. A life that's marked by joy and peace and contentment. You can have all of that. All of that. If you just are willing to give it up. If you're willing to lay your life down and pick up the life that God has made possible for you through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself taught this principle before his death and resurrection. In the same passage we looked at last week, Matthew chapter 16, remember he took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, has a conversation about who he is, who do the people say that I am, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's right, Peter. You could have never figured that out on your own. You're not smart enough. And then Jesus says, and I got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the religious leader. I'm going to suffer, and then I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'll be raised again. We looked at all of that last week. But if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 16, you come to verses 24 and 25, and this is what Jesus says to his disciples right after he tells them what the Messiah is intended to do. He says, I gotta go, I gotta die, I'll be raised again. And if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Do you see it? Death before life. If you want to find life, you got to give it up. You got to give it up. You got to give up your old way of living. You got to give up your own right to be in control. And you got to pick up the life that God has for you. We read some of the words of Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We read verse 8, but if you go down a few verses later in verse 14, you find Paul telling the same truth. He says he died, meaning Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Do you see what Paul is trying to teach the people in Corinth? Jesus died and he was raised again. So you should stop living for yourself so that you can live fully for Jesus Christ. That's where life is found. You gotta die so you can live. 
death before life. If you want to find life, you got to give it up. In another one of his letters, Paul actually writes about his own testimony of coming to understand this for himself. He writes to Christians in Galatia, and this is what he says to them. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who now lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see what Paul's saying? I died, but now I'm alive. This is the message of the Christian faith. You have to die so you can live. Because in our natural way of seeing things, we think we live and then we die. But in the kingdom of God, death always comes before life. If you want to really live, you've got to give up your life so you can receive the life that God has for you. And before this service ends today, I'm going to give everybody in this room who's never made that decision an opportunity to make that decision. Because I don't want anybody leaving this place without an opportunity to make a choice to say, I'm going to give up my life so I can have the one that God has for me. See, the reality is, is that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. That's what Jesus came for. And he's offering that life to every single person on this planet. But in order for us to take and receive that life from Jesus, we got to lay down the life we're carrying right now. You got to die before you can live. That's the way it works in the kingdom of God. Before I give you an opportunity to respond and make that decision, though, we're going to celebrate with three individuals who have come today to be baptized. And we're doing baptism on this day because it's a day that really represents the, the foundation of our faith, right? It's a day that represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and there's not really a better day that we could celebrate new life in Christ than this one. And so we're going to baptize three people this morning. And baptism itself is something the church has practiced now since the time of Christ. It is one of those acts that we engage in. And the reason we engage in it on this day in particular is because it is a symbol, a sign, a, a visual illustration of the principle we are talking about today. That a person has to die so they can live. I want to read some verses for you from Romans chapter 6. This is Paul, again, writing about baptism. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You see it, right? Death before life. If you want to find life in the kingdom of God, you got to give it up. So you can receive the life that God has for you. Baptism is a perfect illustration of this. 
is these people are going to step into these waters of baptism and they're going to be placed under the water. They're going to join Christ in his death. They're going to be buried with him in their baptism as they go under that water. And then they're going to be raised to new life in Jesus Christ. It is a perfect illustration of what we're talking about today. And we're going to celebrate with them when they're baptized. And for everybody in this room who's been baptized, it's not just about celebration. It's about remembrance. Celebrate with them that they are being baptized, but remember your baptism. Because we have been joined with Christ. We died with him so we can live with him. So I want to invite these three individuals who have come prepared to be baptized today to just join me up here on the stage. And uh, we've got some questions that we're going to ask them. We're going to get to hear their personal testimonies later, but I want to just invite them now to answer some questions so that you know that they understand the seriousness of this act that they're engaging in. So I'm going to ask you guys some questions, and if you don't know the answers, don't worry, because I'm going to give them to you, okay? 